Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Data for Goalposts. Last week in our Data Explained series, we covered the expected goals metric. And today we are turning our attention to its less attractive cousin, expected assists. We'll be going through aspects of what it is, how we track it and why we track it, and really how it tracks creativity rather than the definitive values of, of goals. I guess the person we're going to kind of hand this over to next is Monty. <laughs> That's a really, the person. That was, a, that was really shit. I guess, yeah. Can you keep that in? So bad. Uh, okay. Thanks for passing the mic to me, Sam. Similar way, um, if your team has a possession of the ball, there's really three things you can do. You can shoot, you can pass, or you can dribble, right? Football's a simple game. Those are the three actions you have um, if you have the ball with you on your feet or in possession with your team. Last week in our Data Explained series, we, we covered XG, um, which is all about goals and probability of goals. Um, if you haven't listened to the podcast, uh, maybe worthwhile listening to as a good basis from which we are building rest of the series from. Um, if you have a metric like XG covering um, goals and likelihood of goals, um, you, you sort of only cover three of those actions, right? Um, the, the, the thing that comes after uh, a goal being scored is uh, creative actions or actions that lead for that opportunity to be created. Um, at the end of the day, that is the objective of football. But in terms of those three actions, um, only 1% of in-possession actions are shots. So if you are someone who's interested in data and football and all you're looking at is shots and XG, um, it, is, um, it is, is very narrow view of what's actually happening on a football pitch, which is also why um, when companies like Opta or, uh, or leagues themselves uh, started recording information and data, they, they, they started by shots and shots on target to begin with. Um, and then over time, uh, they started looking at stuff like assists. Um, in fact, the, the Premier League assist record that Kiri uh, Henri has, um, he, he got 20 um, assists. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the season in which he did that. I think 2002, 2003. When he actually did those 20 assists, he, it, no, one, no one was actually recording that. Um, and it's only years after that season that they started looking at uh, assist information and recording it and went back and realized that Henri had this great season where um, not only was he the principal goal scorer for Arsenal's Premier League winning side, but he also had the most assists. Um, um, but assists in terms of an actual statistic is quite noisy. Um, let me just describe two quick examples. Um, if Henri is on the edge of the box and he passes to Burkamp, Burkamp turns around two players and scores with a volley um, and, and, and Henri has just played a simple square ball. Um, Henri gets the same sort of uh, assist um, or statistical uh, reward as um, someone like Aiden Hazard does if he if he goes from uh, the midway point off a field, dribbles past 
almost the entire Arsenal uh, midfield and defense and then pass to uh, Diego Costa for a tap-in. So assist is a very, very noisy metric because um, if you are building a squad or you're looking at who are the top performers for your team, uh, you have both of those uh, actions leading to the same uh, same sort of apportionment reward. Yeah, I think, as you said, it's a lot of these metrics come from maybe trying to build a squad, but I think in terms of scouting and recruiting and that commercial side of, of things, a lot of these metrics come out of like, like companies like Statsbomb who are there to help teams kind of understand their, their scouting positions as well as like their current team. And it's, it's a way to measure who is, is contributing to, like, like you said with XG, you know, who's definitely contributing towards scoring and, and creating chances, but the actual where, that, where those chances are coming from, XA actually helps to describe those so that you know from outside of it, you know, from goals that you know who's contributing and therefore who has value in your team, whether it's who you're going to put on the pitch or whether it's going, you know, someone you're going to buy because you're, you're, you know, you're looking for midfielders as, as options and things like that. And that's, you know, and, and you're looking for attacking threat. What about asymmetrics? So, it, so we've, we've talked about why assists could be noisy uh, and we've talked about expected goals in our last pod. Expected assists is uh, primarily and basically um, attributing a value of XG to the passer who passed the ball to the person who took the shot that got the XG. Um, at its very basic level, it's that. Um, as we covered in the XG Explain pod, uh, there can be different models and different attributions of uh, expected assists or value calculations of expected assists. But I guess the benefit of looking at expected assists in comparison with assists is that uh, because you will get an expected assist for every shot you you, you, you end up creating or uh, making a pass leading up to, um, it's, it's got a stronger, whilst it's still noisy, it's got a stronger signal at, attached to it um, than assists. Um, as we talk on uh, the 4th of October, Pogba, for example, has uh, about seven assists already this season from an expected assist of like one or two, <laughs> um, which, which is a really important example of, you know, how um, uh, assists can be really noisy, right? He's just basically made a lot of passes uh, around the box that have just led to goals because um, Man United are have a plethora of attackers who can score from long shots, deflected shots, uh, tap-ins, and so on. Uh, Pogba is a creative player, um, but just looking at the seven assists valuation and extrapolating that for the rest of the season will tell you that he will break Henri's record. But that's not necessarily the case because um, it's by and large luck invariance that just led him to have seven assists. Um, and that expected assist value is probably uh, much more of a signal around how creative he is or not being this season. Yeah, I think moving on from your theme of, of like removing the noise and giving something that's a bit more of a stronger signal, it's also a more relative signal, I think, in the sense of because it takes out like an actual assist in itself very much counts on the striker themselves, you know, scoring that goal and giving you the assist. Whereas with the expected assist, 
it takes out the, the the quality of the strikers. Therefore, you can maybe better compare midfielders. It's not, again, not, not always going to be completely standardised in that sense, but it just gives you a much better way to compare midfielders across different teams, regardless of the striker that's then, or not just striker, whoever's the, whoever the quality of the rest of the teammates are, who are then maybe taking that shot. So that if, if you are, again, you're trying to compare players for a scouting reason or, or even, you know, if, if you may be picking an England squad and, and you, you're not just necessarily going to pick players from Man United because they're better strikers, it gives the, the people making those decisions a way to see who's still creating goals, whether they win in or not, but, you know, regardless of the striker and whatnot. That's, that's a, a really good example of what you just shared, Scott, is your club Liverpool signing Shakiri. Uh, now, Shakiri was in a relegated Stoke team, but if you looked at the underlying metrics of how uh, that team and the individual players were performing, Shakiri, who was pretty much their one-man attack, repeatedly made really threatening passes into the box, even though he wasn't um, really supplied the ball really well. He was the only really good player on that team. And repeatedly, either the, the shots were not taken or taken really poorly uh, from poor angles. So his contribution from a creative point of view was actually really strong, but it's purely down to the, the players he was playing with uh, that he didn't have uh, a better sort of recorded metrics of like assists or goals. Um, so uh, stuff like XA can really help you identify bargain signings like Shakiri, who just don't have the right teammates around them. 100%. And I think going back to Alan's point, just to kind of reiterate, it's around because football is essentially such a low scoring game. The reason we come up with these metrics is if you could like in, in basketball or like in the NFL, like any high scoring game, if you could score, you know, dozens and dozens of points or close to a hundred goals, you would see without needing these kind of hidden metrics, you would be able to see who the performers are because, you know, most things there's enough, I guess, statistical, um, like, sample size to see it without needing to kind of look underneath the hood whereas because because like football such a, a low scoring game we need to dig you know that's where the xg comes from and this is digging deeper into you need xa in order to be able to explain like you said with shakiri where there's just not that many goals going in really what is going what underlying is it is it any good because there's a difference between a team that gets relegated and creates a lots of quite quality chances don't finish them and a, and, a, and a team that gets relegated by just not creating any chances so it's something like XA can then actually or, or on the opposite token a, a team who finishes in the Champions League without creating much and a team that finishes outside of the Champions League with, with without creating much and things like that so all these stats including XA just help you maybe see what else is going on other than just what you see on the on the score sheet so how is XA calculated? I know we I know we mentioned earlier where the position of the player that actually takes the pass. I'm guessing it's also the position that the player receiving the ball collects the ball, and then you obviously need a, a shot which is on target or off target or just a just a generic shot. Um. So my understanding, Sam, is um, XA does not take into account where a player is actually passing from. So most, most XA models do not take that into account. 
um, all they take into account is um, the same things that XG takes into account. So where players actually shooting from um, uh, that doesn't have to be on target. Um, it's it's more an average of the shooting position of the player, which foot he's shooting from, whether it's a header, um, uh, whether their body's between him and the goal, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so, I think, I think the earlier models, the earlier models were just X, XA equals XG. So if you if you made that assist to to the XG area, they just equate it to the same thing. Yeah. But I think the more modern ones sound like I think Opta do start to incorporate stuff like where the pass was from and like how far it came from and things like that. So as like with all these things, it's it's commercially and and kind of like. Um, to the public, they've only been available for maybe four or five years, and it's something that's still very much in motion and still being developed and, and honed. So, say if I'm Edison booting the ball from like my own penalty area, and it goes like straight clear to like Gabriel Jesus, who just beats four players and then knocks it in. But it's it's what? where it's where he received it. So if you, if you lump it to Jesus and he happens to head it from the six yard line, your XG is going to be quite high. Your XA is quite high, from my understanding, is because it's it's from where he received it from. But if you pass it to him out on the wing, where he received it, and his XG is really low, so he's he's essentially like scored from that position. So your 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 XA is then very very low. So it depends where it gets put in from. Is is in that sense. Yeah, it's a model differential. So, so most most companies uh, around the world that do this, or most models that do this, uh, only have access to event data. And event data being um, passing, shooting, dribbling, tackles, etc., being defensive events. Um, uh, Statsbomb uh, uh, that started off as an analytical company or uh, or analytical people like people on this pod, uh, they eventually evolved into a data collection company as well. And they've, 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 they've veered into locational data as well. Um, but it is quite immature because football is so dynamic, um, getting accurate information on where people are um, is quite new. So even though Statsform has been around for maybe 10 years now, maybe less, a little bit, um, uh, the, the locational information they have is only maybe two years old. Um, so, so Sam, uh, going back to your example of Ed, Edison boot, boots it, um, and uh, Jesus has to just take one touch and take a shot. Um, or if Edison boots it, Jesus has to actually be two players and then get into the box and then shoot. Um, in the old, older, less sophisticated models, both of those uh, XA valuations will be the same. But companies like Statsbomb and if, if Scott's right on Opta, then Opta as well. If they have locational data, then there may be differences in the XA attributed. I learn something new every day. I think I think that's what's um like for, for for guys like us. That's probably something to mention is that often when we're working, like you know, F, FB Ref is obviously our main source of data. We try and get it from other places. Um, so when you look at it, like with XG, everyone's got different models. So try and understand, like if if you're on a page, if you're on Optus or, or Statsbomb's pages, maybe maybe try and understand where they get it from. They're not always going to give it away, which is sometimes makes our job a little bit hard. But it's also their secret source. It's also what they're providing to clubs for, and, and that's their, that's their cost. Um, you know, that's how they're making their money. So often they're not going to give that away as well. So it's not always that easy to tell. Um, but it's, you've just got to kind of semi understand what roughly where it comes from and, and, you know, just how we can use it from a, from a, I guess, more amateur point of view. 
and uh, just wrapping up our talk about XAs, uh, there is a really nice video about expected goals and expected assists from Opta. You can just find it in YouTube. It, it's something that really helped me to understand it in simple uh, terms and with a nice visualization. So one, one question I do have in regards to all clarification and have in regards to like actual expected and actual goals or, or expected and actual assists, you're, you're essentially relying on the person to finish, the, the attacker to finish. And is that why you have like a huge disparate view sometimes of like assists and expected assists? Yeah, exactly. Because the the expected assist will include the sh the shot and the like the xG associated with that associated with that shot. So essentially, where that the quality of that pass put the put the striker in regards to the goal. So they will have to have taken a shot, I believe, for it to be counted as, as an assist. But it doesn't have to go in versus an actual assist has to go in. So so xA is related to xG in that it's it's more the probability of it going in from that from that position and and the quality of the pass into that position. So if you've got the likes of Lewandowski, Serge Gnabry, Thomas Muller in front of you, you're much more likely to have a better expected assists or, or, or actual assists than, than you would actually usually get. I guess maybe because I, th I think if you're... You, you could still get a high expected assist if you've got bad strikers ahead of you because you could be playing balls through um, and they just thought like if, if it was someone else other than Lewandowski, they could just be not finishing it. But you could still, I still think there's something you said when what you're saying, Simon, that you're still going to get more XA if you've got better strikers. Because again, they're probably going to be creating more passes for you at the same time. I, th I think not not as much as the, as the first one, but I still think there's probably something to be said of the movement of the striker allowing you to then play that ball must have a factor in it, but probably not as much as the fact that, like you said, if they, fin if they finish it or not, you, you, you still get the XA. And, that, and that's probably the biggest the biggest driver of where you can see the differences between XA and, and actual assists. Okay. Because if I guess if you compare from a couple of seasons ago, you have like Thomas Muller who had a performance of 21 assists and then an expected XA of an XA of 12.7. <laughs> so there's, there's a disparate like version of like nine there. Which yeah, is, yeah. It's, it's like with with the XG again. Like it, it that's the average. Pro, like you're you're taking into the account that like with the XG, it's the average of of every player scoring from that position that's ever correct. been recorded in that position. So like with XG, you'd always expect a good striker to outperform the XG because they're the reason they're good is because they're better than the average and they're better in those situations than the average striker. Let's say. You'd expect the same with XA. Like a player like Müller's qualities is going to have a higher XA because they're they're better at finding passes to to better players. Therefore, in in those positions they found themselves in, they're probably going to find that ball better because they're just they are a higher quality of player. Whereas the you know that that pass in someone else's foot probably doesn't find it, even though across the board from statistical like taking everyone into account, they like the average. They should be above average if they're better, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I'll, I'll simplify it, right? That the, the overall season total will be cumulative in nature. So it, it's an addition of all the opportunities leading to shot uh, or all the passes leading to a shot that a person has done. Um, if, 
if you remove Muller's um, passing um, uh, and it's someone else doing it, let's say Bellingham as an unknown, um, the, the actual model will spit out the same actual result because it is an average, doesn't take into account the person passing or shooting. It is the average of all shots from that location that, that's, that, that's attributed. But as Scott said, um, uh, if you are playing in a good team that has more of the ball, that has players like Lewandowski making the runs or has passers like uh, a, a Muller, who else is creative, Ozil or Fabregas, like these players that are really creative, that can pull off passes that uh, most people can't, even at the elite level, they will by nature have a higher XA because particularly in terms of finding those passes that create goal scoring opportunities. That's exactly what we're trying, what we're trying to measure, right? Like those players can, can execute, like have the vision and execute those passes, whereas others cannot. So even, even in the season of Premier League season pass, if you look at uh, the top XA, you will likely find players like Grealish, Kevin De Bruyne, et cetera, who are good at, um, getting the ball into the box into and creating shoot goal scoring opportunities repeatedly. Yeah. Cause essentially, essentially it comes down to, did they like, it's never going to be registered at XA if they don't find the striker and then there's not a shot that's gone off. So you still very much fundamentally has to be a really high quality pass it has to reach where it's going. So as, as Monty was saying, De Bruyne and, and players like Grealish are very good at doing that. They're very good at finding the player and therefore generating the XA versus versus someone who who maybe tries that same move um, and, and doesn't find find that player. But. And uh, I would just say that there is another huge limitation in the XA models overall, just because it takes in account only the events where pass was successfully received, right? But it doesn't play in favor for those weak teams where bright players are making those passes to the dump compatriots and they, yeah. those guys they just can't take this pass and go and move forward they lose in possession and that would be the problem of those guys not the passing guy nevertheless xa of this passing of, of these passes would be zero so in yeah. this case if you have players from bayern and man city and psg and liverpool they're gonna have more credits from xas than players like these hidden gems like um, Tonali from Brescia or I don't know some of your stars in England Premier League. Okay so we, we've, we've pretty much covered XA we also kind of covered the limitations of XA so I guess how how have the analytics community started to bridge some of those limitations that we discussed? Well, I think one of the the earlier ones that that's made, and it's 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 a bit more. It's a great one, but it, and it's because it's quite simple to calculate is um, the XG chain and and XG build up. Um, so the XG chain is is literally giving credit to every everyone involved in a successful pass that led to a goal. So it didn't it didn't lead to a like a, a, a turner of a loss of play. Anything that that didn't lead to a goal is is rewarded for. The contribution to that goal equally. Um, so I, I believe in in the XG chain. It still it, it still includes the actual assist and the goal. Whereas XG build up just 
talks about any other pass that wasn't an assist or a goal, but it's but it's it's weighted equally. So if you if you were involved in uh the if you're involved in a goal, I think the XG of that goal in XG build up, let's say, is split between all of the players involved in that. So if you I know Pep said uh I think it was last week that it takes around nine passes to to set up a goal. If nine of those players all touched the ball, nine different players, would they all be attributed to the same XG chain and have the same value? Spot on, Sam. Spot on. That's actually one of the huge limitations of XG and um, expected build-up is that um, if teams like Pep's teams are playing in possession, then they have many players before the conversion of the goal. Um, in contrary to the teams that prefers dynamic plays. And there you'll have counter-attacking play with two or three passes before the goal. That would just yeah. change the whole model. Actually, I, def- I defer to uh, Alan's opinion. Um, so if you have a shot that led to, let's say, a 0.32 um, uh, XG, right? That's, that's a fairly high mark. Um, 0.32 is a 32% probability. That's that's a really good shot, right? If if you had Pep's sort of model of nine passes leading to that, then you have um, eight players before the person shooting um, uh, getting 0.04 XG each or XG chain each for that segment or that shot. Um, if you converse that with um, a counter-attacking goal um, with the same 0.32 and you have just three players involved, you have the other two players, uh, not the person shooting, getting an XG chain. Actually, the person shooting as well. So three players all getting 0.10 or 0.10 something. Um, If I am building my squad and I want to look at not just who makes a pass leading to the shot, because that is, you know, um, limiting the creativity because dribbles and passes, pre-assists or pre-pre-assists can really contribute to creating goal scoring opportunity as well. Um, regardless of if the goal was a counter-attacking goal um, or uh, the, the team style plays peps, um, I will still find uh, XG chain a valuable metric because in peps team, you get a smaller portion of the XG, overall XG for that shot, but you have more of the ball. So you have more XG cumulatively that way. If you're counterattacking, like Alan's example, then you, you maybe have uh, only two or three times where you get XG chain uh, in terms of shots, but you get a higher value. Both of those are signals to me. Yeah, I, I, I really like it. I think I totally agree with Alan that it's 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 limitations that it's not weighted. Like there's at some point someone someone's passing that chain was better than someone else's. I think there's no denying that. But like you said, with with teams. It shows in, in an XG chain where maybe a few centre-backs were part of it, it shows that they didn't lose the ball. It shows that they were involved in a sequence of play where the people in the team that you're not maybe associating with passing as well as, as others didn't lose the ball and it eventually led to a goal, which I think, like you said, is a really good signal in the sense of some teams just aren't capable of that. Some teams you would look... Um, the, the defender, like the, the teams that are maybe lo- like launching long balls where it's headed down by the opposition team, maybe knocked on by striker one to striker two. I'm thinking of 
Brentford <laughs> um, or like Stokes of old, where, where, you, where your, your pro primary way of playing is to try and get it up to two quite, quite bulky defend like strikers to, to knock it around for each other. The XG chain is going to be maximum of two because it's basically once those two get on the ball, they're trying to get it to each other. Whereas in an XG chain, you're going to have right backs, left backs, goalkeepers all involved in that. And I think it shows a real, therefore, like a real capable, real mature, real passing team. Um, so if you can look at the XG chain, like as, as a team, that's really good. The longer they are, that shows you're a passing team. But again, if you're being, a, you know, if, if defenders are getting credit for being involved in a play that essentially led to a goal, therefore the ball wasn't lost, they still had a part to play in that. There's something they did that was successful. They, they, they didn't cause a turnover and that's always what you want. Um, yeah, so I see your point, Wenchi, and I agree that if we, for example, have in one bucket only those possession teams uh, with high um, pass accuracy, let's say, then we can compare those with exchange and uh, X build up. And we'll have another bucket counter-attacking teams with the different proportions, with a with, uh, few players involved. But even with that, I still would argue that, let's say if we have a workaholic winger on the side that starts each and every attack, and this guy is just gonna take literally zero risk and gonna pass to a free opponent if we take teams with high uh, percentage of accuracy passes and high intensity then this risk is going to be close to zero that this player will fail in, in passing um, and then let's say after five passes the the ball will come to a creative playmaker someone like Verratti or Pogba or Bruno Fernandes. And then after that, that would be the only moment where this whole chain of passes is gonna be something more. But then I wouldn't say that this workaholic winger, whoever was it, benefits and like contributes to it. No, it's just part of tactic. It's just a side product of tactic, that's it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree. The attribution of the same value to everyone in the chain is a big limitation. Um, com completely agree. Uh, the, the, the emphasis I was trying to make is, um, if you're looking for, uh, creativity, regardless of if it's a possession team or not, um, you will still get signal from XG chain because what, what, what is the model trying to do? They are trying to attribute, um, values to not just the final pass. So there, there, there is this, um, there's, there, there's something called outcome bias in stats, right? If you're just looking at shots, um, it's a big outcome bias. So, um, going back to Sam's whole, um, uh, comment or, or something we've cited very often. Pep, Pep says that he takes nine passes to lead to goal scoring opportunity. When you see Pep's team or Tuchel team pass backwards or sideways and stuff, um, they're not just trying to keep the ball for defensive position, possession. There, there, there is some of that as, as well, but mainly what they're trying to do is move the opponent players around. Um, and if all you're looking at is the last pass before a shot, uh, you're ignoring a lot of creativity uh, before then, right? So there's a severe outcome bias um, or you're looking at the last two moves before uh, checkmate. But 
the, you ignore the whole sort of strategic element of getting the pawns and the things in place to lead to a checkmate. So um, it's it's not um, it's not as valuable as um, the whole outcome would lead you to indicate. Yeah, yeah, I agree with those um, really interesting comparison with chess. And I would just say for those listeners who have any experience in the digital marketing, advertising, social media work, we could <laughs> also, there's always a challenge lies in underlying data analytics. So those um, divisions, it's about the problem on how to measure any types of conversion, right? Marketing conversion of the event. And that's exactly it. This problem is known. Uh, as marketing conversion, which means you've got several different ways of attracting the customer. Uh, how could you measure importance of, of each way? And so exactly the same goes with this metric. If we, you've got many players as various factors that contribute to one and only one conversion, and that is known as goal in football. And so XG chain just solves this attribution problem in football with splitting the equal shares. But the actual challenge would be how to solve the attribution problem with different weights and different yeah. contributions. And I think that's what the, the next set of metrics that we'll talk about will cover that. But I think that's what I like about XG chain actually build up is that they are so simple. So like by themselves, I, I think they tell you something, but, but not, but not loads and, and probably they need kind of accompanying stats to, to really tell the full the full story but what i like about it is that they're easy to explain and therefore um they're more usable so they're, they're more they're more relatable they're more usable so therefore it, you're probably more likely to 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 be able to you like use it amongst a, a wider a wider audience whether it's like players who aren't used to it or or talking to talking to friends or who, who aren't into the stats it's it's something to start off with that, that kind of helps to explain the underlying story without getting too deep into the weeds and too deep into maths and machine learning and stuff like that so that's why it's quite i think it's quite neat in that sense but yeah i'd agree it by itself it doesn't really tell you um there's no weight. It needs to tell you whose who's, who's pass was more in at some point the, the one pass was more important than the other. So, Alan, I think you described it nicely with the whole attribution model uh, de description. I get, and that turns nicely into our next version of metrics, which is expected threat. So we, we've sort of talked about um, some of the limitations that uh, the, the creative metrics of expected assists and XG chain can have. Um, and to sort of use an example, if you are uh, uh, someone who's really good at dribbling, so going back to the three things you can do in possession, passing, dribbling, or, or shooting, um, we, we just... Um, had City and Liverpool play last night, and there there is um, uh, a, a play in which uh, Gabriel Jesus uh, receives the ball on the right, dribbles past three different uh, Liverpool midfielders uh, and one defender, and passes it to Foden, who then passes it to um, to someone else to take a shot. Um, if if that sequence played out uh, in XA terms, Jesus gets nothing and Foden gets whatever the XG attribution is or uh, uh, some of that. In an XG chain, um, both Foden and uh, Jesus get the same amount, um, uh, potentially the same amount. Um, uh, but 
when watching that, you see that um, Jesus picked up the ball in a non-dangerous situation in terms of how far it was away from the goal. He then took out several Liverpool players between the lines um, out of the equation uh, between the ball and the goal and then passed it over to Foden, who was in a good position, and then passed it over. In order to solve for those limitations and expected assists and XG chain, um, there's a model from a guy called Karun Singh. Um, I think uh, it's it's worthwhile giving him the the credit for thinking about this. Uh, that actually um, puts up um, puts up the entire field of play um, into different um, XG uh, portions. Um, Based on you know the XG uh, potential from the part uh, of the uh, of the pitch where the ball is, and gives expected threat as a value to an action based on the difference between where the ball got to and where the ball was received. So, if if Gabriel Jesus in the same sequence receives it um, in a non-threatening zone, so near the halfway line where where shots aren't taken from. And then by the time he uh, dribbles past several players and passes it to um, the, the left of the box where Foden is before Foden makes his pass, Gabriel Jesus has significantly increased the likelihood of XG um, through his actions. And he gets that credit um, in terms of expected threat. Um, Foden also does receive the ball in the box and makes a pass. So um, he gets credit as well. But because the the threat level or XG level from the left-hand side of the box to the middle of the box, the difference is not that high. He doesn't get that much um, in terms of expected threat. Yeah, I think I think a, a way to think about it is, as we were talking about before with with XG chain, but rather than the chain be players that are passed to, it's more like Monty said, segments of a pitch. If you if you imagine that you can form a chain by moving it into those segments rather than moving it to players, I think XG threat is then the players that are moving it more more chain links in in their in their move than than the other players so as we we're talking about before with with center backs only passing it to each other first of all it's not very far the passes so they're not moving the ball between threat levels that are higher up and moving they're only moving one link in the chain and also they're in a position of xg that's not very high whereas the as as Monty was saying with with um Jesus yesterday he's moving the ball along the chain as in positions on the pitch much, much, like much, much more and much more towards a position where the X, you know, the, the, the goal is a threat. So in terms of the chain, he's moved maybe four or five or six links compared to a center around, a center back passing around the back. So it's, so it's, if, yeah, if you imagine trying to move forward up the pitch towards the goal, it's, it's the X, the XG, the next is just which player moved further, quicker and, and with one, you know, with just using themselves rather than using other players. And uh, so from the same bright guy, Karun, I really, really liked that comparison between arguably two beautiful games in the world. It's football and chess. It's, it's exactly that. If you think of football as 64 or how many are the segments of the field um, positions where each player can go or can pass into, then uh, that's essentially just a chess game where it's also important not to 
measure only the events of actual chess and mate, but it's important to measure all of those hidden moves to another parts, like for example, moving the pawn from d7 to d6. But that's essentially the crucial step that is going to make you win the game. So could you potentially have someone who's not threatening and you'd have a minus value? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, like if you have um, a game where every time Jorginho receives the ball from Chelsea centre-backs, um, he actually passes the ball backwards to another centre-back uh, or full-back, and that's all he does all game, he will end up with a minus expected threat value. And he is not a threatening player anyway, so it would be right too. Yeah, and I, th- I think what's what's interesting about it is, um, like you said, Sam, because every time you move forward, it's essentially positive X, XT, and every time you move back, it's kind of negative. So, yeah, you can have negative. And the model actually starts, it's it's not complicated, but it's, it's, it's you know, it, it, without understanding maths, I think, you know, I think it is a struggle. But the, the premise is that, he moves back in terms of you start off with XG. So you start off with actually, if you're in this position and you shot, what, what what should be the percentage of scoring that goal? And then you move back by once, you know, one link in the chain, you move back again. And he essentially does four or five iterations to say, well, if, if that player got to that player, move, move that far on the chain, et cetera, where would it get to? But he essentially starts off by, by doing XG and he reckons that between four or five iterations, you get to converge on what the expected threat looks like across the pitch. So, I think what's interesting in terms of what Pep said in terms of it takes nine passes to make a goal. This model will kind of say that it, yeah, I don't know, but maybe passes the wrong is the, is the wrong term because this is more around. You can dribble too. You can dribble as right. well. So it's, it's 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 pieces of threat. So whether that's a dribble past a lot of players, but it, it takes five like choices or like like Monty said, they shoot you know shoot pass dribble. It, it takes five of those actions to to actually lead to a goal and after that you're not really contributing much to threat so it's um i think i think that's what's interesting is i, I think there is i don't think that's a, it's probably a little bit of a limitation i, I don't think pep's wrong in saying nine passes right but this no, isn't no, really no. Captured, that's, like that's his team that, yeah but but also i don't think it captures the fact that if you do move it across the back you know maybe not increasing the threat that you can see but there is movement going on the opposition team that is is going to break it down further down the line that you're maybe not exactly going to measure with this. It's still not. It's still not perfect. It's not like some kind of god stat or anything like that. What expected threat? Yeah. No. No. It, you, it, could, yeah. you could still you know include so many variables to to try and increase how good it is, and then you could start to converge more and more onto onto something that's threat. But I just found I just found the fact that it's it, it, it you kind of can't really increase the the threat after four or five. It, it, I just found quite interesting. So, so if if I lose the ball and get depossessed, does that mean does that contribute to my overall XT? No, I don't think so because I only think it. Uh, I, I mean, you could have a modified model where it does that, but I think it's more about like if if you passed it back, maybe, and it was intercepted as you passed it back. I think the measurement of passing it from one space that was a lower threat level than the other, you could maybe register it, but it didn't go to your player. So it's not in that, in this particular model, it's not going to be registered as, 
as negative because it doesn't really count as part of what your what your build up right. is. Right. Yeah, it has to I go just, on your plate. No, no, it does. So, so if if you pass it backwards and then got intercepted, um, the zone you moved it from. So, if you think about the sixty-four chess squares, the zone you moved it from, let's say, center of the circle towards your own goal. Um, there is there is a minus ball progression there, right? The, yeah, the yeah. point of ball progression or creativity uh, contributed by ball progression is moving the the ball upfield towards the goal. So if you've um, gone backwards and the pass didn't didn't actually land with a, another player and got intercepted, you will still get a minus value for an expected threat along with a lot of booze. Yeah, sure. But what I'm saying is I don't know if that's necessarily registered because on the same token, you could lump it upfield into the box and it couldn't, it might not reach your striker. You're not just going to get registered some extraordinarily high XT. Like I think there's an underlying... Um, like in order to measure the XT, it's got to reach your player because otherwise it's not really a threat. It's just it's just a turnover in possession. Um, so I, I think you can have a modified model where if you lose it, you can maybe get negative. But I think in the in the current like standing of what it is, it it has to reach your opponent. Play. I, I get what you're saying. Yes. Backwards, but you're not going to register it as as any kind of threat because it didn't go anywhere. Like I said, otherwise otherwise a lump up the field is like. You know, a huge amount of XT, even if the defender just headers it out. Which is but, one of the criteria here is that it operates on event level data. So it just mm. captures all those events. And another thing, it operates only on probabilities. So it's, let's say if a player passes the ball backwards, it still creates a miserably small, but probability of the ball on that particular place of the field to be, you know, resulted in goal or assist uh, as, that's how i understand i understood the the model it's all about probabilities which are just positives but but that's a really really nice idea so let's say just for the moment it's been improved with some punishments there uh, mathematical punishments and then let's say we could link it up with uh, players incentives and their wages <laughs> and that is how we could yeah, but it's it's also, it's also an interesting world. experiment, right? Is around like what, like you said, if passing it back, it's it's minus XT for each of your player. If if it's intercepted, would you say that that's more negative, or maybe it's a it's a different measure? It's like expected, like the expected threat you gave to the other team. Let's say could could also then be how you measure the the negative for your team or something like that. Because as you depending on where you gave it to them and depending on what they did next with it, um, like if you if you lost it with to a midfielder where the striker's already ahead of you, that's a much worse position to lose it in than just losing it to the striker who's got to do a lot to maybe beat you again and, and then get a shot on a goal. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Just be interested to see, like, after the after the loss of possession, what happens with it and, and then maybe record that as a negative to the, to, the, to the actual team that lost it. But I don't yeah. think that's what it does at the moment. That's, I think that's what it – I'm not sure that's how it's calculated at the moment. Uh, but that's actually a really nice point of, of model progression. So what we're talking right now, it's pretty much a, a reinforcement learning where we'll have the rewards and punishments in the model. Uh, and that's exactly how chess and Go uh, models, you know, machine learning models were uh, evaluated, um, were progressed so that they were evaluated in the form where there is a reinforcement learning in, in place that some moves lead to the better outcome others lead to the worst outcome because you play 
in a game one versus one. So that one team versus another team, which means all your actions can contribute positively and contribute negatively. That would be a really, really interesting model to try to apply in football. Yeah, sure. And so in what kind of, in terms of what the, when you're looking at players on it, like we're looking at examples and looking at actual players. I and mean, let's say we're talking about XA and XT. What, what kind of as an example of players what what would what the differences in in the players that you would see would you see a massive difference i guess is the first question like would, would you always see the same players in xa and xt models or are you actually going to get a lot of players that may appear in a lot of xt and no and no xa and vice versa like some players that just get tons of xt and no xa that would be would be an interesting question to think about so, um so I, th I think players who are have high expected assist numbers um, uh, would be featuring heavily on expected threat leaderboards. Uh, so for sure, there would be a correlation there. I guess what expected assist does not take into account very well um, is that third action, right? That dribble action, so not the pass, not the shot. Not the dribble. This is where um, this is where the analytical community was really challenged by Eden Hazard because she looked at how Eden Hazard played. Um, they particularly in his peak. Unfortunately, not for Madrid fans right now. Um, he he. Whenever he played on the pitch, he was taking the ball and progressing it quite significantly for Chelsea or Belgium all the time, and taking a lot of players out of the uh, out of the. Um, uh, defensive situation because he was so good at doing that it was very clear that he was creating opportunities for his team however he is a very short shy player so he would most likely create the pass before the pass um, and also most likely not take the shot he got better about shooting um, as time went on but he still would take on an average two shots a game compared to Salah taking four right so that's that's a huge jump because of that, um, uh, players like him, or if you think about another good dribbler, Adama Traore, he's not a good passer at all. He's a shit passer, but he is perhaps the best dribbler in the Premier League, perhaps world football, apart from Messi, because the way he's built, um, his technical skills in the ball, he can get through most players. In, yeah. If not by size or strength, then by skill. So... Um, that's a that's a really good example of um, someone who would be ignored or not picked up by an XA model or XE chain model, but picked up an expected threat model. And another yeah. example here is Jose Holebas. What, what would you say about him? Is he really that underrated uh, deep lane playmaker? No, no shit. <laughs> Holebas, no, he's crap. Um, I, I guess I, I, one, one thing that I was wondering then, based on what you said, Monty, because I'm I, I always I'm so fascinated by Adama Traore and, and why people love him so much. Because yeah, he, he gets so much threat, but he's absolutely hopeless at shooting and crossing. So the question would be, is is there a difference between a player who's really high in threat but maybe low in XG and, and XA and a player like like it, it, yeah, but they're really high in XG? Like you, you, like I know what you're saying with with um Hazard, he's going to be really high in XT, but you know that he's contributing. Whereas Adama Traore, I always wonder, is he actually contributing, or is he just making lots of runs? And so, therefore, is that really threat, or is it, is it just absolutely? I, like, I guess. Wasteful? 
I guess my answer in a roundabout way would be it depends on how you're looking at all of this. Um, everything we have described thus far to the explained series isn't a reason to buy a player or be worried about a player uh, or anything of that sort. It, it gives you information. And we, we have been at pains to uh, articulate the limitation of these statistics um, because it isn't the be all end all and there's no God statistic. So if I am an opposing manager, um, XG chain uh, would help me understand how my opponent yeah. attacks, right? So do they attack to the side? Do they track to the center? Do they have a player like Holebas who years ago when expected threat came up was having a rich vein of form from the left um, do they have any of this, right? So if I'm if I'm uh, an opponent manager, um, I could look at expected threat uh, and expected assess in combination for Adama Traore and realize that okay, this guy is really good at moving balls from from uh, non-threatening zones and threatening zones, and I will find it really hard to stop him. But as long as I stop his pass from reaching to a player who can create a goal-scoring opportunity, I'm good. Right, so yeah. so you you have a tactic against that. If I'm a manager scouting um, Adama Torre, I would be okay. This guy's really bad at picking passes. What can I do to simplify him and still use the, the thing that he does well because it's still a very valuable thing. So can I have someone like I don't know Kevin De Bruyne or wh whoever uh, around him to receive the ball to create that last like pass. So it, yeah. it depends, you know, how and you look at it and who's looking at it. I, th I think that's the answer, right? It's like it's in combination. I think, like I said, with, with XA and even XT in combination with the XG buildup of XG chain will tell you a lot, right? Because you, you'd probably see Traore is, 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 is got a really high XT figure. But if he's, if he's not involved in the XG chain, because actually his, his crosses are, are absolutely hopeless, that's going to point to a bit of a problem. Whereas you'd see, how, like you said, with Hazard, you're going to guarantee that those two would be a bit more correlated is that his, his XT, even if it's not the assist or the goal, is very much going to lead to an assist or a goal. So there's, if you looked at those two in tandem, all of a sudden you've got a lot more of a better story around that, that is that threat um, effective. I guess this is an audio medium and we are somewhat limited because it's an audio medium. So for people who are enjoying this and, and thinking about this uh, themselves, um, we will soon start to post blog posts and visualizations around how we um, put some of these metrics into action, into looking at what's actually happening in the game and what players are doing. So please follow us on Data for Goalposts um, on Twitter. That's the number four. Uh, to, to see some of this because, um, again, what we won't be doing is looking at one metric in isolation for one player, one game. What we'll be looking would, at would be a uh, time series or a group of players, a group of teams, um, and, and usually in combination with things. So, for example, um, uh, in terms of XT, I would probably cross-reference that with passes into box, uh, uh, for example, to, to understand um, whether, you know, it's, it, is it someone who's just dribbling from uh, the, the mid zone to the end zone or is it someone who's actually um, passing into the box as well because that becomes uh, an even more threatening player. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm for one very happy that our father side team 
only covers assists and goals because I'm not a threatening player whatsoever. And I often give often give the ball away. You've got really high XG. Ah, a a strangely high XG because you score. No, actually, yeah, and you outperform your XG all the time because you're always shooting from these ridiculous positions and scoring them. (laughs) Oh, too funny. I've 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 missed a good few from uh from a couple of yards out. So, who who would you say that you're most like, Sam? If you had to compare yourself to a player, Timo Werner. Like a Heskey? <laughs> Heskey? Heskey. What, just like, bring, look, bring the ball down and, and just do, do everything good for the team? Well, but more, 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 time more, to more often than not, we won't do the right thing, but we'll do really, like, every once in a while does something that makes you think that he's one of the greatest players ever. <laughs> Colin Cole. That, that was Heskey's, yeah, that was Heskey's like, op- modus operandi. It's like, 90% of the time you think, what the hell is this guy? And then, that ten percent, he does something magical. You're like, oh wow, he's like up there with with the best. And but you know, it's not true. Yeah. Well, and 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 for me, Sam would be Chiro Immobile. Lots of efforts, sometimes goals. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like my nick, nickname Samoslav Closer, right? So just oh, the, right. the best, it, the best all-time uh, World Cup goal scorer. In ever. your in your best times, <laughs> you're as efficient as Samoslav Closer. That's right. Especially in that final, yeah. Sam, Sam, what you do on the pitch doesn't really, like, it's not summed up by what you actually do with the ball. So it's mostly off the ball or off, off the pitch where you're, where you're, like, giving the most, you know, contribution. Off the ball value. <laughs> off the ball value. Yeah. <laughs> you got a new metric. Off, off the pitch value. <laughs> Just organisation of clients and games. Yeah, it's called a manager. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to like, comment and subscribe because there'll be many more where this came from. Toodaroo guys.